You're listening to Autumn on the Air, the weekly podcast that brings you conversations about the impact of research commercialization and the people who make it happen. Join us for interviews with patent and licensing professionals, innovators, entrepreneurs, and tech transfer leaders on the issues and trends that matter most. Keep listening for an inside track on the people, IP policies, and politics changing our world. Welcome to another episode of Autumn on the Air. Today, I'm excited to be joined by Eileen Dingus, the Commercialization Network and Events Manager at Tech Launch Arizona, to talk about making the path to commercialization of inventions more equitable. Eileen brings a wealth of experience from both the private sector and higher education, making her a valuable voice in the conversation on making the path to commercialization of inventions more equitable. Since joining Tech Launch Arizona, Eileen has spearheaded the management of the NSF iCorp site program, guiding over 100 teams through the program's transformational journey. She has also played a pivotal role in developing the Claim Your Seat at the Table program, which empowers women researchers and inventors within the University of Arizona community, equipping them with the tools necessary to commercialize their inventions and create a meaningful impact beyond academia. Eileen's commitment to promoting diversity and inclusion extends beyond her work at Tech Launch Arizona. She serves as the chair of the Arizona Tech Council Women in the Workforce Committee and co-chair for the Autumn Diversity Special Interest Group. Additionally, she has been actively involved as the marketing and logistics swim lane lead for the University of Arizona's inaugural diversity symposium and is a member of the NOLA Chorus Girls. With her Master of Science in Entrepreneurship from the University of Arizona, Eileen's expertise and passion for empowering women entrepreneurs make her a catalyst for change in creating a more equitable environment for commercializing inventions. Welcome, Eileen. I'm so excited to have you here on the air. I'm excited to be here, Lisa. I'm geeked about this conversation, so I'm looking forward to it. Well, I'm geeked as well, and that's because I know how passionate you are about creating a more equitable <laughs> environment for women to commercialize their inventions. So I want to get right to it because I think we're going to have a great conversation. So I wanted to start off, Eileen, and ask you, how have organizations recognized and addressed the gender disparities in the past to commercialization of inventions? Well, I can only speak to the organizations with which I have experience. But I think many of them are starting to recognize that there are gender disparities on the path at all. If you recall, it wasn't that long ago that gender wasn't really an issue in academic research because there were relatively few women entering the field. Uh, now we have robust STEM education programs that start earlier and earlier, and we're going to see more women researchers and inventors, and we'll see them want to commercialize their inventions. So organizations are starting to look at the whole process. What steps are set in stone? What can be more flexible? How are we accommodating women inventors in the whole process? This can be as simple as, do we hold meetings when women traditionally have familial responsibilities? Or 
can be as complex as how are women researchers supported at the departmental level? Are they encouraged in the same manner as non-female researchers? Are women researchers hired at the same rate of their male colleagues? And I think as soon as we start figuring out the answers to those questions, we'll be able to more accurately address the gender disparities on the paths to commercialization. Yeah, because I think one of the issues is, you know, we're seeing more and more women, I think, getting into STEM, but they're not staying in STEM. So we see this kind of leaky pipeline kind of problem. Yep. Yep. And that's been addressed a lot in the past few years. Absolutely. So, Eileen, you talked about looking at the whole process, and I'm going to focus on one of those parts of the process, and that's um, investors. And I'm curious to know, in your experience, what role do investor biases play in contributing to the different experience women entrepreneurs face when they seek funding? That is the question that started this whole thing for me. Um, I was doing some research of my own a few years back, and I found a study by Dana Kanz et al., and it was called, We Ask Men to Win and Women Not to Lose, Closing the Gender Gap in Startup Funding. In the study, the team found that potential funders asked male founders promotion-focused questions like, where do you see the company in five years, or is this opportunity big enough to maximize gains, while... Female founders were asked prevention-focused questions like, what does customer retention looks like, look like, or are you operating at a break-even, or even how will you balance this company with your familial obligations? And Lisa, this lit me up. So I started looking around to see what I could do and found the Reach for Commercialization program at Ohio State. I wanted to recreate their success with helping women commercialize their inventions and start a business. Now, I went to Penn State my first go around at university. So, you know, if I'm recommending something at Ohio State, that it's really good. <laughs> Definitely. Um, the Ohio State program is a year long, but I wanted to have a faster ROI, so to speak. So the program I developed was a month long. Our original series had four sessions. One was linking your passion to impact, working with TechLaunch Arizona, introducing people to the idea of commercialization. Um, women tend not to want to commercialize or know that they can commercialize, and there's that's a whole other podcast. But we wanted to get them used to the idea of doing that. The next session was building a team, whether it be a team in their lab, a team in their home to help them shoulder the responsibilities, um, a personal board of directors, so to speak. The third was customer discovery, who will pay for your invention. Uh, we received funding from a National Science Foundation grant that was tacked on to our i site program. So this was kind of paying homage to that customer discovery and things like that. And our final one was the big one for me. It was beyond grants, understanding the funding life cycle. Uh, we had experts in the field come in from uh, national VC organizations, uh, Golden Seeds, and we had someone come in from our local angel investor organization, which was uh, Desert Angels, and it's one of the most active angel investor organizations in the country. And they spoke to the women in the cohort to talk about 
what to expect when you go in front of a VC or when you go in front of an angel organization. And the idea was to get women prepared not to go for funding, but for the kinds of questions they would be asked. And um, our funding that we used from our site program grant was used to advertise the the sessions, and it was enough to get the word out and hold a few cohorts. So that was that was our first foray into it. We're working on some other things now, but that was a good start. I would say that's a pretty impressive start. And you did all that in a month. We did those four sessions in a month. It was an hour, two hour session once a week. And that's when we learned that um, timing is key because some women couldn't do it because I scheduled it at the end of the day. And I, that never even occurred to me. Yeah. Yeah. So they had to get home for family, pick up kids from school, things like that. Right. Interesting. And, you know, I want to kind of keep on this theme a little bit more. And, you know, I know you've been very uh, involved in developing programs like Claim Your Seat at the Table, which was aimed at empowering women researchers and inventors. And I'm curious, could you share some of the changes you've witnessed organizations make to their policies to create more equitable environment for women entrepreneurs? Yeah. Um, I wouldn't say that there are changes yet, but having an awareness of the different paths people take to reach the same result is a big deal. Uh, At an autumn dinner last year in New Orleans, I was asked what I would do if I was given a million dollars to help women on my campus commercialize their invention. I said I would pay for somebody to cook their meals or do their laundry, or pick up their children, or do any number of the things that women traditionally have to shoulder in addition to their work or entrepreneurial efforts. Uh, Well, the table was gobsmacked. I bet. And you're right, though. Yeah. My dinner partners never considered that the responsibilities many women hold outside of academic life may have prevented them from pursuing commercialization. Our friend Karen Maples calls it too many hats. Women just have too many hats to wear at once. I actually contacted the gentleman who asked me the question recently, and he said, "Um, I thought that our discussion over dinner was the highlight of the autumn meeting, and I have recounted the discussion a number of times. And then he told me that he's in the process of creating a platform within his university's acting CEO program to work specifically with women and minority inventors. It's baby steps. And that's okay as long as the steps keep coming. Absolutely. And thank you for doing that because I think that was, um, I remember hearing that comment from you as well. And um, like you said, a lot of people hadn't thought about that. So appreciate you doing that and bringing it to light. Now I just need that million dollars. <laughs> I Yeah, exactly. If we could find somebody who could do that, uh, some celebrity or somebody with a lot of money who could provide that at all universities, I think uh, we'd be in a great, a great place. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to ask you, you know, you're part of Tech Launch Arizona, and I'm curious, you know, about some of the policies and practice there that have been implemented to help promote gender equality in the commercialization of inventions. Well. At Tech Launch, we are part of a, a bigger organization, obviously, the University of Arizona. So I don't have a lot of 
influence. I, I don't make the decisions at the higher level. But where I am, I have a big mouth. I'm really stubborn and I'm not afraid to use either of those skills there. But I have great leaders who encourage me to try new things. Our Last year, we implemented a program called World Changing Women, where we invite some of our rock star women inventors who already work with us to lunch. They're asked to bring a plus one, either a new faculty member, somebody from their lab, even an undergrad if they want. And we encourage them to bring women. We're not limited to that. I want everybody to know that this is not a girls only club, but this is to encourage women inventors. But we bring them and we feed them. That's all they have to do. They show up and they eat. It's not a heavy lift. But while they're there, we make sure to have some of our campus higher-ups in the room. So provost or AVPs or, you know, the higher-ups. And we say, look at these women. They are doing great things and they deserve support. And then we say... Look at these campus higher-ups in the room. They are here to support you. And it's it puts faces to the ideas of, oh, we have all of these women working for us, developing these really cool things. And now somebody goes, oh, I met one of those people. Or I'm brand new at the university and I got to talk to the provost about my research. That's That's a big deal. And I'm actually really pleased with how many women inventors work with us. Our invention disclosure rate for female rent inventors is higher than the national average by a couple of points. And I'm just really geeked about that. That's really fantastic, Eileen. And, you know, um, you talked about, you know, that program you, you just mentioned about supporting women. And I want to talk a little bit about confidence because I think, you know, that does play a role in this uh, to a certain extent. So I'm curious, what strategies have you found effective in encouraging women entrepreneurs to pursue their inventions and navigate the path to commercialization with confidence? Well, like you said, the women World Changing Women Lunch is a great example. If you can see it, you can be it. Um, I noticed that we had some really, really great professors and great researchers in the room. One of our researchers has had dozens of patents awarded her over the past few years. And to have her stand there and be able to talk to a brand new researcher, first year researcher in another department where they might not have interacted before, that was really great to see. Or have an undergrad come and talk to a woman who just, you know, got a million dollar grant to do whatever. It's, if you can see it, you can be it. And um, that's really one of my favorite things. I We had a meeting about a week after our World Changing Women's Luncheon this year. And someone said, by the way, I got an invention disclosure from one of the women that came as a plus one to that luncheon, she said she would have never considered it had she not gone to that lunch. That's and fantastic. I went, yes. So it works. Yes, it does work. And and that's a, a great story. Thank you for sharing that. And congratulations, because without that luncheon, Woo-hoo. you wouldn't have had that invention disclosure, which is fantastic. And that woman's going to change the world. 
Absolutely. And that's that's the thing. Yeah, we got a number to put in our, our number form, but that woman is on her way to change the world. And that's the really fun part about this. Yeah, it really is. And I mean, you're doing tremendous work there. So Eileen, I wanted to ask you, how can organizations promote a shift in investor behavior to encourage more equitable funding decision for women entrepreneurs? Well, Academic institutions have enormous influence on everything they touch, and using that influence will help all academic entrepreneurs. So invite local investors to events where they can meet inventors, hold pitch competitions so people can see what's going on, get the community, especially the funding community, to see what's going on at the university and who is doing it. It's a lot easier to turn down a nameless faceless than it is to turn down a person. Absolutely. And I wanted to ask you next about mentorship and networking opportunities, because these really can be instrumental in leveling the playing field for women entrepreneurs. And I know you're very, very active in this area. So I wanted to ask you for your thoughts on how you've seen these factors play a role in supporting women entrepreneurs in the commercialization process. Well, we have a great mentor pool here that includes outstanding women from all fields. I am constantly looking for more. So if anybody wants to join, let me know. I don't have the numbers to back this up, but I do have anecdotal evidence that when I pair a woman-led potential startup with a woman mentor, or if there's a woman mentor on the team working with a potential startup, there's a broader understanding of what the process will entail. As our provost said, we're not developing the best possible technologies when we're not including all sorts of people at the table to design those technologies. Having women mentors at the table helps ensure that we're developing the best possible technologies. So do you have a secret in terms of how you get all your women mentors and your mentors for your program? Well, um, actually, when I first started the drive to in, uh, include more women mentors in our organization, I did a half-day symposium called Flourish Here, and we invited just women from the area, from Southern Arizona, and we had breakouts talking about how to maintain your feminine self in your male-dominated field, how to handle finances, how to be an ally. We also invited men, um, how to be an ally. And then we had a really good panel where our, we had three amazing women and one amazing man who came in and answered all the questions from our audience about how to, how to be a woman mentor in a technical field, how to be an ally if you don't know where to start. And that really kicked it off for us. Um, that was pre-pandemic. And we still get people talking about Flourish here and how that influenced them to, to join up with us. Well, congratulations. That was a really brilliant idea. And are you back up doing Flourish now, um, now that the pandemic's over? No, um, the pandemic kind of squished it because we were <laughs> going to do quarterly events and you know we sat in our bedrooms for two and a half years but um 
from Flourish here, I did get that great quote from the provost, and we developed a program called Claim Your Seat at the Table. It was a virtual program working with women researchers at the university to help them navigate the path to commercialization. That went fairly well. We did have some rock stars come out of it. We did have some more women express interest in working with us. And now I'm working on another program that I'm calling Inspire. And it's based on Columbia University's DICE program to uh, encourage self-identified, underserved, underrepresented minorities to engage in the commercialization process. So January, February 24, hoping to roll that out. Well, we'll stay tuned to to keep an eye out for that. So, and I wanted to ask you about culture, particularly culture of inclusivity and diversity. And how do you think organizations can foster a culture of inclusivity and diversity to ensure that all entrepreneurs, regardless of their gender, have equal opportunities for commercializing their inventions? Well, the big thing is you walk the walk. You make sure that your organization not only talks about diversity and inclusivity, but that it demonstrates it. Is your own department diverse? And the the thing that is kind of hard to get across to people is diversity isn't just male, female. It's age, it's race, it's socioeconomic level, it's ability and disability, it's language, it's career stage. And once you show that you foster a culture of inclusivity and diversity internally, it's easier to walk that walk. An easy way to get started is to contact your organization's Department of Diversity and Equity and see what programs they offer. We had a session recently on unconscious bias in our office, and we're discussing doing an internal climate survey to set a baseline for where we are and make a plan for where we want to be. So, Eileen, I wanted to ask you, from your perspective, what do you think are some of the potential long-term benefits for organizations that actively work towards making the path to commercialization more equitable for women entrepreneurs? Well, there's a few things. Like I mentioned earlier, we're not developing the best technologies when we're not including all sorts of people to design those technologies. Better technologies come from more diverse outlooks. And on the other hand, studies show that startups with diverse teams are often more successful. A study done in 2018 showed that when women business owners pitched for early stage capital, they received significantly less, like a million dollars less than men presenting the same basic information. But businesses founded by women ultimately deliver higher revenue more than twice as much as businesses founded by men. So if all you're looking at is dollars and cents, investing in diverse organizations founded by women gives you a better ROI. Absolutely. Along those same lines, I wanted to ask you about measuring and tracking progress. And do you have some thoughts on how organizations can measure and track their progress in terms of how to achieve gender equality in the commercialization of inventions? Sure, it's data. Gather all the data you legally can. 
When I started on this, I counted the number of mentor opportunities in our i program, the number of male mentors, and the number of female mentors. Of 113 opportunities, only 13 of those were held by women. That was enough to light my hair on fire and get the ball rolling. I also, your, your organizations have people who track all of this stuff. So find out what data you can gather from them. I've worked with university analytics and institutional research to get gender and race percentages in our colleges and compared that to what we find in our pipelines. It's not perfect because the data sets don't always match up and we can only know what people voluntarily disclose, but it's a start. Then you find your weak spots and you shore them up. Actively recruit diverse mentors, actively encourage diverse researchers, seek out grad students and postdocs and encourage them to consider commercialization, and then you help them. And that's the way you do that. Yeah, it's a constant process, data collection, analyzing, pivoting, data collection, analyzing, pivoting. It should be something you're doing constantly. I am. I bet you are. So, um, Eileen, you know, this has been a great conversation, but unfortunately our podcast is coming to a close. But before I let you go, I did want to ask you, what do you think are the key takeaways and actionable steps that institutions can implement to help create a more equitable environment for women entrepreneurs on their path to commercialization? Gender equity in any sense is a wicked problem. It's a problem made up of problems. The key is to not let it overwhelm you. I am a huge advocate for the one thing. Pick one thing to start with. For me, it was recruiting more women to be mentors. Some organizations have started the conversation by offering a place for people to put their pronouns in their email signatures. For another organization, it might be hiring a licensing professional that speaks a language that many researchers in that area speak. For another, it might be collaborating with the business school to cultivate an entrepreneurial mindset and prepare the next generation of startup CEOs and connect them with researchers who don't want to be CEOs. And above all, be patient. Eileen, thank you so much for sharing your expertise and insights on making the path to commercialization of inventions more equitable. Your passion for empowering women entrepreneurs is truly inspiring. And thank you so much for all that you do. And please continue to do it. Thank you. I will. And thank you for having me on. If anybody has any questions for me, Lisa knows how to get a hold of me. I sure do. And to our listeners, I hope you found this conversation valuable and gained new perspectives on creating a more inclusive landscape in the world of commercialization. Thanks for listening to Autumn on the Air with Lisa Mueller. Get social with us and share your thoughts. You can tweet us at AUTM or visit us online at AUTM.net. We'll be back next week on the air. Be sure to join us. New to tech transfer or a seasoned pro? Autumn is the global member organization for tech transfer and is here to help you get connected, get smart, and get ahead. Whether you work in academia, research, government, business development, corporate engagement, or startups, Autumn is dedicated to supporting you through education, advocacy, networking, and promotion. 
Join and you'll receive 20 free live webinars, as well as meaningful discounts on meetings and courses, insider access to a vast network of colleagues to help you through challenges, and a line on new technologies and the university decision makers who license them. Membership is open for 2023. Join us.